Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, hello, friends. Over this past weekend, my church, Redemption Parker, introduced a new program called Theology on the Ground, where we are seeking to apply theology to a cultural issue, which, as you can imagine, is near and dear to my heart. So I was thrilled to see our elders implement this new um, way of getting our community together to think deeply and Christianly about current events and trends, things going on in our world. So the first one that they tackled is the sexual revolution. So obviously taking on a huge topic, but that's what um, we went ahead and discussed as a church community. And I felt privileged and grateful to serve my church by um, being on the panel. Now, I wanted to record the entire session, but it was two hours long. And as you can imagine, we covered a ton of material and we were kind of all over the place. So it wasn't actually conducive for me to share on the podcast. But there was a question posed to the panel, which I am asked all the time. I'm probably asked this close to once a week, at least once every other week. And I've been reluctant to answer it publicly. Um, And it's the question about pronouns. Should we call our neighbors, our family members, our friends, our coworkers by their preferred pronouns if they are pursuing a transgender identity? How should we as Christians respond to this cultural issue? So it's something I hear a lot. It's something I get texted or emailed or asked in person. And yeah, I've just been reluctant to address it, but I did go ahead and address it on the panel, and I thought I would go ahead and take the plunge and answer it here on all things as well. Now, the first thing that I want to say about this is that our conversations inside the church about this issue should be generous and charitable. This is a hard issue, and the culture around us is changing fast. It's hard to know how to keep up and how to respond and what to do. Christians who hold to a biblical sexual ethic and Christians who hold to over 2,000 years of the historical teaching of the church on sex are going to land in different places on this issue. So Christians who hold to the same ethic are going to be applying this differently. And I think we need to extend tremendous grace and charity to one another for that. Now, of course, scripture is absolutely our authority, but how we apply it in a quickly and ever-changing cultural landscape can be hard. None of us is God himself. We are going to change our minds and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to do this imperfectly. So I want to remind myself and I want to encourage my listeners toward charity. There is no need for us to condemn someone who comes down differently than we do on this topic. We don't need to be lacking out and defaming our brothers and sisters in the faith because they land somewhere that we wouldn't on this topic. Let's give each other space to ponder and change and grow and land differently. You know, as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter three, let's bear with one another. Let's put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let's let the peace of Christ dwell in us richly. Let's let his peace rule in our hearts. And Lord knows my perspective on this has sort of evolved and changed and come and gone over the last several months and years. And so it's, it's tough. And so I just want to say right off the bat that what I share with you today on this episode might very well change in the days, weeks, and years ahead. Um, because I have changed somewhat over the last couple years as to where I land here. So 
But moving on from that foundation, first and foremost, of let's offer charity to one another. Um, I will say the other reason that I'm really reluctant to talk about this publicly and definitively is that I don't think there is one definitive answer to this question, should I use a trans person's preferred pronouns? It's one thing to consider, for example, how you might speak to a coworker or a neighbor or a family member who has already transitioned in every way and is well into a adulthood. You know, so that would be one scenario. Or how, you know, you might speak differently to someone who suffers from gender dysphoria in the way that we have traditionally understood gender dysphoria prior to about 5 or 10 years ago. You know, prior to this current cultural context, gender dysphoria was understood to be extreme discomfort in someone's body. And it started very early in childhood, even in toddlerhood, and the medical community and psychiatric community largely sought to treat individuals by alleviating their discomfort and helping them to feel more at home in their biological bodies. So um, I'm I'm probably going to address somebody with that more traditional understanding of just gender dysphoria differently than, for example, maybe a young girl who's suffering from ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria. So as of about 10 years ago, about 2012, since then, we've seen a massive shift in how we think about and talk about trans identities and gender identity and sexual orientation in general. So we're now flooded with what we call ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria. Now, ROGD is a new diagnosis. It's not the same as traditional gender dysphoria. So traditional gender dysphoria is marked by persistent dysphoria from early childhood, but ROGD is marked by a sudden onset in teens who have never before experienced discomfort with their gender, and it arises almost solely amongst socially connected groups of girls. The presence of a rapid onset, as well as the prevalence of ROGD amongst peer groups, indicates that ROGD is driven by a social contagion. So it looks like this recent spike in gender dysphoria, which we have seen over the last several years, is due primarily to a social contagion. In other words, primarily to the influence that teen friends have on one another. Prior to 2012, so prior to 10 years ago, there was no scientific literature on girls between the ages of 11 and 21 ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. So there were no scientific articles, no medical literature um, addressing that specific issue. That's how extremely rare it was prior to 10 years ago. But now, of course, girls in that age group constitute the majority of those seeking treatment for gender dysphoria. So the pronoun question is really dependent in some ways on who you are talking to what your relationship with that person is like, what you know about their struggle with gender identity. I'm not going to have the same relationship with maybe a niece or a daughter or a son suffering from ROGD than I am with a colleague in my workplace. Now, truth is truth, absolutely 100%. The truths we find in God's word and the truth about how he created us and designed us, those truths do not change. God is the author of life, and he has authority over your life and mine. But how you and I steward these relationships and these opportunities to speak into them, I think requires a ton of prayer and discernment and wisdom and a single blanket answer to the question, should I use someone's pronouns or not, is more complicated than a simple yes or no answer to every situation or every conversation, in my opinion. 
So let me first speak to this issue of communicating with a young girl or boy with our OGD. The prevailing wisdom currently amongst practitioners, so amongst secular doctors, counselors, teachers, psychiatrists right now, is that we must all be instantly gender-affirming. The secular position is that if parents or teachers or other caregivers are not immediately affirming, then the boy or the girl who's dysphoric will harm themselves or even kill themselves. The question posed to parents who are reluctant to adopt their child's new identity is, would you rather have an alive son or a dead daughter? So there's a lot of pressure for teachers, counselors, parents to immediately affirm and conform to what the child is expressing in terms of gender identity. But here's what I want to point out, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, but it bears repeating. Up until very recently, it has always been the approach of any caring adult to help any child in their sphere feel at home in their bodies. So for example, we would never say to a girl who is dangerously thin, but only sees obesity when she looks in the mirror, you know, yes, because you feel overweight, because you think you're obese, then yes, you really are. No, the proper course of treatment for that girl who has body dysmorphic disorder would be to help her feel comfortable in her body, to help her treat her body with respect and to pursue healthy practices to feed herself well so that her feelings about her body can match what is true about her body. It is now and always has been good and right for caring adults to help struggling children feel good about who they are biologically and otherwise. So it's worth noting here, parenthetically, that virtually no teen girl feels good in her body. You know, I have been a teen girl. I have four daughters. I've known hundreds of women in my lifetime. And I can say with confidence that pretty much none of us, I won't say 100%, but I think pretty darn close, none of us felt awesome about ourselves physically or otherwise during the teen years. In fact, most of us continue to struggle with our bodies well into adulthood. You know, it's a persistent feeling as a girl, as a human in a fallen world, to not feel quite right. So if we respond to a girl's dysphoric feelings with a trans identity, then I think we do great harm. We don't actually get to the root of her stress or her anxiety or her depression. So doctors and therapists and others say that these girls or boys should socially transition, that socially transitioning is a neutral first step. Socially transitioning means um, allowing this child to select a new name that goes with their new gender, to go by the new pronouns, to dress in that way, to use those bathrooms, to sort of behave as the gender that doesn't match their body, but they are now identifying with. But what I want to say is that this is not a neutral approach. I don't agree that it's neutral to go ahead and do that. To call a girl who already doesn't feel comfortable in her body by a boy's name and to encourage her to live the lifestyle of a boy is not going to help her feel more at home in her body. It's only going to increase her dysphoria. If you treat her like a boy, then yes, of course, she's going to increasingly feel like a boy. Socially transitioning is not neutral. In fact, I think it's a very concrete first step down a path that is ultimately harmful to that girl. So here's what I want to, here's where I want to land this plane in this particular area regarding the question, should I use a person's preferred pronouns? If it's with a girl or a boy, um, a teenager experiencing ROGD, 
I would say in the vast majority of situations, no, you and I should not affirm her new identity or her new pronouns or her new name. It's my opinion that we should do all that we can to serve her well, to love her, to come alongside her and help her to see the truth about her body, that her body is perfect, the beautiful, the way perfect and beautiful, the way that God made it. Now, if you're in a role in her life where you can extend support to her, then I think that you should sacrificially and generously do that. You know, where you and I can, where God places us and enables us to get involved in her or his life, let's do that. As far as we are able to help her to see her body as the good gift that it is, let's do that. Let's help teens in this specific situation get the help that they need to feel healthy and strong and holistically, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically integrated and healthy. You know, young people, teens are looking for encouragement and support and affirmation from the adults that are around them. They want our affirmation. They want our encouragement. They want the adults in their lives to be proud. And so I want to do what we can to offer holistic help and healing to kids around us who are struggling. Here's a really good guideline that came up in our panel discussion um, at my church this past weekend that I want to share with you. Now, a friend in our church on the panel cited this, and I think it sums up well Christian wisdom for this particular question. Um, my friend says that this idea originates with Sam Alberry, and so I want to give him credit. Um, this is I have not read the quote from Sam myself, but she attributed it to him, so I do want to give him credit. I really, really do respect Sam Alberry and all that he's written and spoken about in this area, but... She says his guideline for this question is this, as Christians, we want to maintain both our witness and our relationships. Um, I would encourage you to write that down. (laughs) I think it's so key. As Christians, we want to maintain both our witness and our relationships. So in terms of maintaining our witness, we want to be a light, right? We want our faith to be offered. We have the words of life. We belong to Christ. We know our creator. We know our savior. We want to be able to share our faith. At the same time, And relatedly, we want to be loving others well. We want to maintain a presence in the lives of our loved ones, especially if they are suffering. So how can you do that in each context where God has placed you? How can you and I be a light? How can we not hide our faith, not suppress the word of God? You know, the word of God is the word of life. This is where you find freedom, abiding peace, eternal hope. So how can we not hide that, not suppress that, not withhold what's good and beautiful and true about our God and how he made us? I think it's very tempting in this cultural moment to hide our Christianity and to leave it out of our conversations and relationships. But you and I have life, and and I am speaking to myself more than anybody else. I know it's uncomfortable to bring up what's true and to shine light in the darkness, but it's key that we maintain our witness. It's key that we maintain, um, that we put on display a biblical sexual ethic, because that is connected to the word of God and the word of life and a relationship with God where we find life and freedom. But at the same time, how can we protect or maintain our relationships? Like, what do we need to do as far as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone? How can we make sure that those who are hurting or those who ardently disagree with us know that we love them and want the best for them and want to stay in relationship with them? Now, we know they may reject us. You know, ultimately, you and I don't have control over that. But can we, by prayer and with faith, think creatively? 
actively and sacrificially to keep these people in our lives. So for example, say you have a niece or a nephew, or your kids have a friend, or there's a neighbor or someone in your youth group at church who is struggling um, with gender identity and wants to change his or her gender identity. Ask yourself, what do I need to do to maintain both my witness to that child as well as my relationship with that child? I think it's going to require great sacrifice. It's not easy to really pour your life into another life. It's it's going to take time. It's going to take energy and emotion. I mean, to really holistically pursue another person's well-being that God has placed in your life, it's going to be a big investment. You know, one reason I think that the pronoun question is so common is because it really speaks to the least we can do. You know, it requires the least amount of effort or sacrifice on my part to say, well, do I need to call him or her or do I need to call her or him? Yes or no. You know, and and just leave it at that. That's sort of wanting to only pour that much into that relationship, you know, check that box and move on. But I think a better question than, you know, what pronoun should I be calling this person is how can I be Christ to him or her? How can I radically love this child and be a source of healing for him or her? So let me share a quick story for you, with you from um, a friend who was on the panel with me this weekend. Now, this friend has recently established a Christian school in our community, um, and it's a small school, um, but growing rapidly. And um, the requirements to attend the school are not that you must know Christ or follow Christ or claim Christ in any way. In fact, anybody can attend this school. There is not um, some sort of document that you sign that says, I will uphold a biblical ethic in any way. But those who attend the school know that a biblical ethic will be taught. They know that they are going to learn theology. They know that they're going to be in the Bible. They understand that the school adheres to a traditional sexual ethic. So um, my friend had a parent and a child in her office last week seeking admission to the school. And the girl, um, the teen girl who wanted to be admitted to the school, um, told my friend that she had a male name and went by male pronouns and was a boy. And her mother was um, really disturbed by that and corrected her every time this girl said her male name or male pronouns or whatever, she would look at my friend, the school director, and correct what the daughter had just said. And so my friend shared on the panel that she felt really conflicted about what she should do. You know, should she in this moment affirm what the mother's saying or should she connect somehow with the child. So here's what she decided to do. And, and I think that this was a wise and good choice. Now, I don't think it's the only choice. And my friend said the same thing. She said, you might disagree and you might have done it differently. And that's fine. I'm not saying I did the only thing I could have done, but it's what she felt led to do in the moment. And it was that she went ahead and followed the teen's example. And she went ahead and built that bridge to the teen by calling her the name that she said and the pronouns that she preferred. But here is why. She was very clear with this teen and the teen's mom that she would be coming into a school program where my friend would be developing a much deeper relationship with the student. And this student would be enveloped in an environment where the Bible would be taught, God's love would be put on display, discipleship would be happening, there would be teaching in the word, and there would be sacrificial love and community provided to her, even if that was something she didn't want, she was agreeing to join a community where that was going to be happening. So my friend, friend felt in that moment, in order to preserve a connection with this particular student, she could go ahead and use the name and pronouns, knowing that 
A structure was already in place. There was an intentional plan that would be carried out as soon as that girl entered her school where a biblical ethic without compromise was going to be shared um, in truth and in grace and with love with this particular student. So you see in this particular example, then my friend was able to maintain her witness as well as maintain the relationship. Now, there's a hundred other scenarios like that that I know you're facing every day, and so am I, whether it's with a colleague or a family member. And um, again, I'm not saying she did the only right thing, but what I liked about that was that she maintained her witness. It's not like she said, well, you know, I'm going to build this friendship and hope for the best. No, something was already in place that was going to be intentionally carried out. But she also didn't say um, disregard this child's particular feelings in that particular moment. She was able to move toward the child and start pursuing that relationship for her, with her. So this is just a tough calling for all of us. You know, I wanted to speak to ROGD specifically because it's so pervasive and it's so pressing right now, but I think we can apply those same guidelines and principles to all relationships. You know, how can you maintain your witness? How can you continue to put God's love and God's word on display? These are the words of life for people who are in the dark, but how can you also maintain that relationship? What do you need to do to be pursuing that person? Um, but this is our our cultural moment. This um, is what the Lord has appointed for you and me. He has determined where and when we would live. He's determined who your colleagues are, who your friends are, who your coworkers are. And he has ordained these relationships in your life. He's ordained the role that you have. So how can you apply grace and truth? How can you apply both conviction and compassion? Because remember, you and I have the words of life. Our faith is not something to be ashamed of or to suppress or to keep hidden. You know, with the Apostle Paul, I want to say, we have the gospel. We can believe in and hold tight to the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So just circling back to that question, you know, should I use my friends, preferred, my colleague, my neighbor, my um, my relatives, preferred pronouns, preferred names or whatever. And I think Sam Albury's wisdom just really hits the nail on the head. How can you maintain witness? Don't compromise. You know, don't go into that relationship going, I'm just going to hide what's true. I'm going to withhold freedom and peace um, from this friend of mine because it's uncomfortable. You know, I want to encourage you and me to be committed to maintaining our witness, no matter how uncomfortable it is but also maintaining the friendship, no matter how uncomfortable that is. And I think it's going to require just radical sacrifice from you and me. We are going to have to invest time and energy and resources into really pursuing those that God has placed in our life who are suffering from um, a gender dysphoria of any kind and really seeking out creatively and prayerfully and with the help of maybe our community who can hold us accountable and keep um, keep us going when we are tempted to not persevere any longer, um, but to really sacrifice and to cover this in love and to do all that we can to maintain our witness, but also maintain our relationship. So I hope that helps you. It helped me to have that succinct wisdom. Um, And as I said, let's be treating one another's with generosity and charity. Um, I think that our opinions might ebb and flow a bit. The times are changing and things are changing around us. And we can give these things new thought and new prayer and new consideration um, as each week passes by. And so let's give each other the space and the grace to um, sort of evolve in this conversation. Um, But maintaining witness and maintaining relationships, I think those are both key. So how can we 
provoke one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds as we seek to maintain both. I hope this helps you. And I want to thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. 